Well, happy Mother's Day again, saints. If you have your Bible, please open it to Matthew chapter 3. We will be looking at verses 13 through 17. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Here's the word of our God and Father. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately when he came up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming upon him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Please pray with and for me. Father, no person is really worthy to preach your word before your people because the preacher is also in need of the word. The preacher is also in need of grace. And I pray that your spirit will come, that he will descend, that he will move in my heart and in the hearts of everyone that is here today, that a word will come forth that ministers to everyone in the places where they truly live. None of us are in the same place. We don't have the same struggles. None of us have it all together. There are things going on in our life. And we need you to come to those places and remind us of truth. We need you to come to those places to give us hope, to give us peace. For some of us, maybe we need a good rebuking. So whatever we need, Father, you will give it to us for our good and for your glory. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Scientist and inventor George Washington Carver once says, There is no shortcut to achievement. Life requires thorough preparation. Veneer isn't worth anything. And he's right. Superficial, the superficial appearance of looking prepared isn't worth anything. A facade will carry you only so far. It catches up with you at some point. See, preparation is key to life. It's normal. We should embrace it and we should prepare well. And as I said last week, even God embraces preparation. He prepares the way for the, he prepares for the way to be revealed to the world. And we all know who the way is at this point. It's Christ. And the Lord God prepares the way for him to begin his earthly ministry. And his preparation plan is unfolding here throughout Matthew chapter 3. And this plan includes a prophetic forerunner named John the Baptist. It includes a prophetic ministry of preparation. And both of those things we talked about last week, both of those are being used to prepare the way for Christ. And this Sunday today, we're going to continue to look at God's plan. For there's more to the plan. And this time, the plan is going to center more on Christ himself. Christ is going to become more active in the plan. He's going to have a more active role in the book, something we haven't seen so far 
Because the last time, do you remember the last time we saw Jesus? Where was he? Last time we saw him in the book, where was he? He and his family were traveling back from Egypt. Because they were immigrants there. Because someone was trying to kill baby Jesus. And so they had to flee to Egypt. And the last time we saw them, they were traveling back from Egypt, went back to Galilee, went back to the city of Nazareth. And that's where, that's where they're living. That's where he stayed until he began his earthly ministry in Nazareth. There's one tool highly organized people have to have in their arsenal of tools. One tool is a labor maker. And they really should have a belt for labor makers with a holster where they can carry the labor maker around with them. So as they go around the house, they can pull it out and label everything in sight and put it back in and keep it moving. And so there's a, so these labor makers, they label everything in sight. And there's another group of people who also enjoy using labor makers. And these people have a tendency to use their labor maker for evil instead of good. These individuals hurt and wound other people with they with their labor maker. They deny the image of God in others. And their labor maker can either be their tongue, their computer, their tablet, their phone, or a pen. So what is your labor maker of choice? Such individuals use their labor maker to unlovingly place labels on people. Too skinny. Too fat, dumb jock, Marxist liberal, hateful conservative, bigot Christian, Uncle Tom, snitch, welfare dependent. What hurtful, demeaning, and painful labels are you carrying? What hurtful, demeaning, painful labels have you placed on others? And if you're living with a painful label that you can't seem to take off, Guess who understands? Jesus. He identifies with you. He has solidarity with you. For he has a label placed on him. And in fact, throughout his ministry, he has many labels placed on him. In Matthew 23, it tells us that Jesus living in Nazareth fulfilled a prophecy spoken by the prophets. Namely, he shall be called a Nazarene. That is a label meant to demean. Not to build up. Not to encourage. Even in the Gospel of Matthew, someone asked the question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can it? This is where Jesus is living. Can anyone good come out of Nazareth? The answer is yes. Jesus is the good that comes out of Nazareth. And please understand, Jesus isn't the demeaning labels placed on him, and neither are you. But do you believe it? It's true, he grows up in an irrelevant village filled with Gentiles. It's true, he grows up in an area with loose morals. But Jesus is not a product of his environment, nor is he guilty by association, nor is he a product of the religious establishment of the day. He is God's way. The Jesus who, who was hunted down as a baby, the Jesus who was an immigrant in Egypt, the Jesus who has been raised by a man that's not his father, the Jesus who was raised in a working class family, That Jesus, the Jesus who probably knows what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck, the Jesus who probably knows what it likes to eat Roman noodles for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, the chicken and beef flavor. If you never ate Roman noodles and you don't know anything about the struggle, 
Jesus knows the struggle is real. And this is the Jesus that is going to make all things new. That Jesus. He's God's way. The kingly way, the priestly way, the prophetic way, the redemptive way, the restoration way, and the justice way. And Jesus knows this. He knows he's the way. It's not revealed to him. He knows it. But do you know it? And do you believe it? And he also knows time has come. The time has come for him to fulfill his part of God's preparation plan. And what I love about this is that he doesn't bypass it. He doesn't undermine God's plan to rush into his ministry. Think about that. The son of God does not bypass God's plan just to rush into ministry. and Take that to heart. He doesn't shortcut it to start ministry. What about you? What shortcuts are you trying to make in order to get what you think God has for you? What shortcuts are you taking in order to, to, to get what God has called you to? To, to? to be who God has called you to be. The person he has called you to be. So what are your shortcuts? Who is your shortcut? Of course, shortcut can be a person. Who and what is it? The shortcuts you are taking to get what you think God has called you to have. Who and what? You see, to patiently wait on the Lord to move is hard. Hard. Definitely for American Christians. Waiting, in, waiting patiently for him isn't laziness. It's not complacency. It's not idleness. It's trust. Trust. Trusting in God as you make decisions. Trusting in him as you move and walk through life. That's what Jesus does. If the Son of God has to trust the Father, how much more us? How much more us? Jesus waits patiently for God. He patiently follows the plan of preparation. He does his part. And that's why he eventually leaves home. He walks straight out of Nazareth, heading to see John the Baptist at the River Jordan. And there's a reason and purpose for that. Verse 13. Jesus comes from Galilee to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. Notice the wording. To the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by John. Matthew is making it clear that Jesus leaves Nazareth for to head into a particular place to a particular purpose person for a particular purpose. And that is to receive John's baptism. That's why he's heading there. That's why he goes there. And I find that interesting that Jesus comes to John to receive John's baptism. It's interesting because of what John tells the Pharisees and the Sadducees in verse 11. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is stronger than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to even carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You see, John doesn't consider himself on the same level as Jesus, definitely not stronger than him. John has the humility to know his lane and to stay in his lane. What about you? And we can learn from that. He's not the way. He's not the Christ. Jesus is the Christ, the only Christ. He's the one that's mightier than John. His baptism is mightier than John. And yet Jesus stands before John to receive his baptism. It's interesting. Do you agree? 
there's an unwritten rule many Americans have and they share in public spaces, like the grocery store, the restaurants, sporting events, concerts, graduation ceremonies, and schools. And that rule is stand in line and don't cut. Stand in line and don't cut. It's a simple rule. But everyone doesn't follow the rule. Some people enjoy cutting line. And some people think they're entitled to cut line because they may be a celebrity. Famous. These are professional line cutters. And they irritate everyone. And they lead to many eye rolls in public. You see, the image you should have in mind as Jesus arrives at this river is a lot of people standing in line waiting to be baptized by John. And what I love is Jesus doesn't cut lines. He doesn't just go to the front of the line. He stands there with the people waiting his turn. Make no mistake, he has the right to cut line. He has the right to go to the front of the line. But he chooses not to. He even has the right to go stand beside John the Baptist and help him with the baptisms. But he don't. He has the right to replace John and his baptism, but he doesn't. Why? What does this, what is, what is, what does this communicate about Jesus? His humility. His humility. He stands in line to identify with the people he has come to save, to show I have solidarity with you. I'm not better than you. I'm not acting better than you, though I am better than you, but I'm going to be with you. You see, Jesus doesn't look past you. He doesn't shortcut you. He identifies with you. He has solidarity with you. No matter who you are, no matter your struggles, he stands in line with you, shepherding you through every circumstance and situation. But do you believe it? Do you believe it? That's always the question. Because you can hear truth all day long, but if you don't believe it, it benefits you nothing. It benefits you Zero benefit for you if you don't believe it here, in your heart, in your soul. Don't let it just go in one way out the other. Believe it. Believe it. Now, Jesus doesn't replace John because his time has not yet come. It's not time for him to begin his earthly ministry. Nor is that part of the plan. First part of the plan is for Jesus to be baptized by John. Jesus knows this. John doesn't know it. That's why he unsuccessfully tries to prevent Jesus from coming to him. Look at verse 13 and 14. Then Jesus comes from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you come to me? Interesting. I mean, John is the forerunner of the Christ, called to prepare the way. And clearly, John knows his role and his call. And yet now he's called to do something that's not even on his radar. He's face to face with an unexpected part of his ministry of preparation. I call this a call twist. And a call twist is when God comes in and he changes something. A job. A relationship. It's a change in direction, putting you in a, in a different lane, calling you to do something that you never thought you would do. 
It's an unexpected part of God's call upon your life. And we all have experienced that. And if you haven't experienced it, you will. Some of you are now. In your vocational life, your family life, relationships, your ministry. I can go on and on how God has come in and made changes in the direction of your life and what he has called you to. Something you never really thought about. Something that wasn't even on your radar. The question is, will you submit to it? Will you submit to it? Will John submit to it? Even though he can't explain it, even though he probably don't even believe it, that he has to baptize the Christ. He does submit because of what Jesus tells him. He get, Jesus gives him the reason why he has to baptize him. He gives John permission to do so. Look at verse 15. Let it be so now, for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Another translation says, Yield to me this time, for it is proper for us in this way to comply fully with every righteous requirement. What do these words mean? What is Jesus talking about? Matthew doesn't come out and explain it, but based on the context, these words seem to mean it's fitting for Jesus and John to do everything that's necessary to prepare the way for Christ to begin his ministry. It's proper for both of them to fulfill their part of the plan. John's part is his prophetic ministry and baptism and preaching. And Jesus' part here is to be baptized by John. Receive John's water baptism. And what does that mean for Jesus? You know, back in verse 11, John tells us that he, he baptizes with water for repentance. And, and people will receive the baptism after they repented. And please understand, repentance isn't penance. Penance is you confessing to a priest. It's even you punishing yourself. It's, it's, it's self-inflicted punishment. Repentance comes from a conviction of sin that leads to a confession of sin and then a turning from that sin unto God. Repentance is for sinners. But Jesus isn't a sinner. He has nothing to confess. Jesus never been disobedient. He was sinless, without sin, meaning he's never, he's never done anything wrong. Think about that, kids. Jesus has never been disobedient. That's what it means for him to be sinless. He's never done anything wrong. Can you even imagine that? No, you can't imagine that. I'll go ahead and answer the question for you. He truly is a saint. Truly is without sin. Perfect. Holy. So what does his baptism mean? It means something. There's a reason why it's part of the plan. First, his baptism affirms and approves John's prophetic ministry of preparation. His preaching his baptism. It connects Jesus' ministry to his forerunner's ministry. He, because John is there to make the path straight for Christ. And this baptism is part of that. Second, the, his baptism identifies him with sinners. It identifies him with the very people he has come into the world to save. His baptism is a foreshadow to his death. Please know that. It's a foreshadow to the cross. It's a foreshadow to the place where he sacrifices himself for our sins. It's a foreshadow of the place where he dies as your substitute. It's a foreshadow of the place where he satisfies the wrath of God by shedding of his own blood. And God's wrath is poured out on him and not you. It's foreshadowed the place where the God the Father 
demonstrates his love for you fully. And that Christ died for you when you were a sinner. Third, those are all amen statements. Okay, thank you. Third, this baptism is where he is confirmed and commissioned as the Lord's God's humble servant and messianic son. You see, something supernatural happens at his baptism. And John wants us to pay close, Matthew wants us to pay close attention to what takes place. The Trinity is at work. Look at verses 16 through 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. That is Jesus. And he saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. See, the spirit descending on Jesus, that is the spirit anointing, confirming, and commissioning him as the humble, righteous servant of the Lord God from Isaiah 42. And that verse says, Behold, my servant, with whom I have chosen, in whom my soul delights, I put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. That is Jesus. The righteous servant, the suffering servant of Yahweh. And the voice of the Father confirms and commissions Jesus as his messianic son, his beloved son with whom he is well pleased, well pleased at all times. Think about it like this. His beloved son whom he is well pleased, who he will sacrifice later for you. Mm. Think about that. I'm well pleased with him. I'm also going to sacrifice it for you later on the altar, on that cross. Not for friends, but for my enemies. That's the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. The difference between Christianity and other religions. God dies for enemies, not friends. Enemies become friends through the blood of Christ. Lost my place. All right. So Jesus is confirmed and commissioned these verses. These verses are part of God's preparation plan for him to complete the work God has given him to do. And it's a work that benefits you. It's a work that will save many. And he saves everybody that the Father has given him. He will not lose any of them. So do you have seven faith in Jesus? That's the question. Are you his disciples? If not, then you can come to him. He is the way. The way. And he's calling you for the first time. And he's calling you back if you wandered into the far country. Because many Christians have wandered into the far country in his life. We don't always stay in the Father's house. We wander out into other things. But repentance is your way home. Repent. Repent. If you're living in sin, repent. If you're struggling with sin, repent. Just repent. Mother's Day isn't a happy day for everyone. Please realize that. Because some people don't have a mother. Some people don't have a good relationship with their mother. Some people have lost their mother. And some have been abandoned by their mothers. And some people, some ladies aren't mothers. And some can't be mothers. So for these people, Mother's Day is a painful day, a hurt, a regret, 
It could be tears. It could be depression of loss. And so if you're one of those people, if you know somebody who's one of those people's people, then guess what? Jesus ministers to you. He's in line with you as a humble servant and a redeemer, a humble friend and a humble son of God. And his hands, these hands are reaching out to you. They're reaching out to you. Not like this. Not like that. Not to choke you. Hands of healing. Hands of grace. Hands of love. Hands of solidarity. Will you take his hand? Will you take it? Hands of forgiveness. Hands of justice. Hands of restoration. Will you take his hand? Hands of comfort. Hands of truth. Hands of hope. Grab those hands. Hands of peace. Hands of affirmation. Hands of acceptance. Hands of reconciliation. Please take the hand. If you want any of those things, if you're in need of any of those things, those are the only hands that can give it to you. Those are the only hands that can give it to you. No other hand you're going to hold can give it to you. No other person you can reach out to can give it to you. Only Christ can give it to you. So that may it require you. You're going to have to let go of some other hands and take hands of take Christ's hands. So whose hands you need to let go of to take his hands? Because he ain't going to sit there and let you hold his hand and somebody else's hand too. It's his hand you need. Everything that you need is wrapped up in Christ. Everything you're going to be is wrapped up in Christ. This is very important, not just for the adults, but for you kids. For you, as you grow up in life, you're going to be tempted to take the hands of someone else and something else. But those things are not Jesus. Those things are poor saviors. The only hand that will lead you through this life and lead you to the Father are the hands of Christ. Your goodness, your good works, your perfection, you following rules won't do it. You need Christ's hands. Nail-pierced hands. What did he tell Thomas? Fill the hole. Fill my side. He still carried those marks of the cross. But those marks are for your benefit. That's That's my Savior. That made atonement for my sins. Real sins. Past, present, future sins have been nailed to that tree. And that was like, that's Amen. I need to get up and do some burpees or something <laughs> to wake up. To wake up. That is the gospel. And if that doesn't move you, then you don't love Jesus as much as you think. You are in love with somebody else and something else. And eventually, that someone and something else is going to break your heart. But guess what? Jesus is there waiting. And repentance, again, is your way home. Come home. Stop wandering in the far country. Come home. Let us pray. Someone here needs to come home, Lord. And that person know who he is or she is. They need to come home. They have wandered in the wilderness for too long. They need to come home to you. And your hands are there to lead them home. And I pray that they will come. And repentance is the key. 
Not beating yourself up, not wallowing. Just repent and move on and come home. I pray that you will leave them their spirit. I pray as we go out and begin another week, help us to go out with, with confidence in who you are for us. That you are good all the time. That no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're going to face this week, you are in line with us. You ain't at the front of the line. You don't cut in the line. You're standing right beside us. With us. Through it all. Give us the spiritual eyes to see. And to feel. And to know. You are with us. Not just when life is well. But in the darkest part of life. In our hard parts of life. In our suffering. In our struggles. You are with us. As our savior. As our friend. Shaping us through those things. Help our unbelief. Many voices speak to us throughout the week, but I pray that your voice will be the loudest voice that speaks into our heart, and we will believe it when we hear it. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Will you please stand as we close our service?